Friends, if you have your Bibles, please open the book, to the book of James, chapter 2, looking at verses 14 through 20. James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 20, a sermon that I have titled, What Good Is It? What Good Is It? If you're able, please stand in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Friends, let's pray together. Father, as we approach your word today, we do recognize that it is the very word of the living God. It is inspired by you, Father. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. That the grass will wither, the flowers will fall, but the word of God will stand forever. And Lord, we pray that your word would go forth, that your spirit would implant it into our hearts and minds. Grow us in our faith today. May we worship you through the preaching of the word. Lord, if there is one here who doesn't know you, draw them to yourself today. And maybe there's someone here who thinks they know you, but they really don't. That they have a faith that has had no impact upon their lives. May they hear clearly from the word of God today. Clarify our salvation in our hearts today, O God. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. What good is it? Did you notice that was the first four words of our text today at the beginning of verse 14. You know, when we ask a question like, what good is it? We're usually talking about something that's pretty much useless. But if you'll notice with me, the word useless is the last word in our text today. It's the last word of verse 20. So you can see in the text today, James is talking about things that are useless, things that might have you say, what good is it? What good is it? Well, I was, I was preparing for the sermon this week thinking about useless things. I thought about Googling that. Useless things. What does this world maybe consider something useless? What is something that might make you say, what good is that? Let me show you some pictures of what I found of some useless things. Here's the first picture on the screen. Here's the picture of a watering pot and rain boots. Now, 
Suppose you fill this pot with water and you go out to water your plants and you try to water your plants, but it ends up being pointless. It's useless. The water doesn't come out. What good is that? Well, put on those rain boots when you go out into the rain. They'll keep your feet dry. No, they won't. The toes are cut out. What good is that? In the rain, it's no good of all. It's completely useless. Let's look at the next one. Would you sit down in that chair? It has no seat. It has no back. What good is that? We'll go to the next slide. Get some sunglasses like that. Unless you're a cyclops, what good is that? Well, suppose you go to the ice cream store and you say, I want an ice cream cone. And you find there's a cactus on the end of that ice cream cone. This is useless. What good is that? Well, friends, as we talk about these useless things, we recognize that we talk about them because James today wants to show us some things that indeed are useless in the text. And of course, James is not talking about flower pots or boots. James is not talking about sunglasses or ice cream cones. James is talking about something far more serious. Faith and works. You see, friends, today James asked the question to all people who claim to be believers, who claim to be Christians. He's asking every one of us, what good is it if you say you have faith, but your life does not have any works, any fruit to show that faith? Friends, in a book that doesn't have many theological sections, this is probably the most theological section in the entire book. And James begins to teach us the proper relationship between faith, works, and justification. And as he does this, James offers a challenge. He challenges what I call easy believism. And he clearly teaches us that a faith that does not lead to works, it can't save. It's useless. What good is it? Rather, a faith that is apart from works is of no use at all. Friends, as we discuss this text today, I want you to see three major points. If you have your bulletin with you, be sure and look on the back of your bulletin because we're going to walk through these three points today. First of all, we're going to look at the history of the doctrines going on here with faith and works. Secondly, we're going to look at the illustration that James gives us right in the middle of this text. And then finally, at the end of the text, James offers a challenge. A challenge I want every one of us to see this morning. But first, let's look at the history of the doctrine. Let's look at verse 14 one more time. James asks, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Friends, I want you to know that for years, many people have believed that the Apostle Paul and James are at conflict with each other. Many see Paul and James as two 
people, two authors that are fighting in their own theology. And on the screen, we're going to put up a picture of what that looks like. This is what many people believe is happening in the Bible with James and Paul. One commentator said James and Paul are like two sword fighters that are fighting face to face. That Paul is on one side and he's fighting for justification by faith. And that James is on the other side and he's fighting for justification by works. And that these two men are opposed to each other fighting a battle in Scripture. One man trying to defeat the other. Friends, I want you to know that this picture couldn't be further from the truth. Now, as we examine this picture, there are some similarities that Paul and James have with each other. For instance, both indeed are swordsmen because they're both handling the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Both are fighting a battle. Each man does have a distinct enemy that he is trying to defeat. But the difference, the difference is that the enemy that each man has, it's not the other man. It's not the other man at all. Rather, instead of this drawing, instead of fighting face to face, the Bible teaches us that Paul and James are fighting back to back. And we'll put that slide up next. Friends, this is the biblical view. This is what the Bible says about James and Paul, that they're on the same team. And they're fighting battles against two different enemies. Let's talk about the two enemies they're fighting. And this is understanding the context in which each man is writing. Paul. Paul is fighting what we call works righteousness. Do you remember when Paul wrote the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 16, he says that, You are justified by faith in Christ alone. You see, the reason he says that is because he's fighting the enemy of what's called the Judaizers. They were a group of people who came into Galatia, and they took the gospel that Paul had presented to the Galatians, and they completely changed it. They said, what Paul is telling you is only partially right, that in your life you actually have to do good things, good works, in order to be justified. You have to keep the Sabbath days. You have to keep the special laws. You have to obey the circumcision laws. And if you do those things, you indeed will be justified. And Paul is fighting and arguing against that and saying, no, that's not the truth. We are not justified by our works. We're justified by because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. His righteousness imputed to us, received by faith. But then when James comes along, he's fighting a completely different battle. He's not fighting against the Judaizers and the works righteousness crowd. He's fighting against what we call Antinomianism. Let me explain that. Anti, of course, means against. Nomianism comes from the Greek word nomos, which means law. So against the law. These are people who say, come to Jesus for salvation to have your sins forgiven by faith, but it doesn't matter how you live after that. You can go live any way you want. There should be, there doesn't have to be any impact on your life after that. You can Trust Jesus, get your fire insurance from hell, and then you can go live any way you want to live. Clearly, there has to be no impact on your life. No change. Easy believism. 
And what James is doing in this text today is he is fighting against the antinomian view. And he tells them, what good is that? What good is that to have easy believism? What good is it to have a faith that has absolutely no impact on the way you live your life? It's useless. It's dead. That's, friends, is what James is saying. And he continues to teach us the proper relationship between faith, works, and justification. So I want you to see how that plays out in history as we get different religions throughout history. Let's first, so here, here's a slide, and you'll ha- you have this in your bulletin as well. Had some great professors at RTS Charlotte. This came from uh, one of their books, Dr. Kelly's book. It's noted in your bulletin. But if you see how the Judaizers and works righteousness and antinomianism come through time in our history, you have what we have what we call the Catholic view, the antinomian view, and the Protestant view. So the Catholic view says this: that faith plus works, this works righteousness, that yields your justification. When I say justification, I'm talking about a declaration of righteousness. In the, in the sight of God. How are you declared righteous? The Catholic view says it's faith plus works that yields your justification. The antinomian, he says, all you need is faith and you're justified. But then it's minus works. You don't have to, have, there's, there has to be no impact on your life whatsoever. Easy believism. That's what James is fighting against. But what is the Protestant view? What is the view that both Paul and James hold to? It's that we're saved by faith alone. We're justified by faith alone. But that faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works. Friends, you can distinguish faith and works, but you can't separate them. They're like a coin. One side is heads, one side is tails. They always come together. Such it is with faith and works. So here's the way we say it. We are saved. We're justified by faith alone. But that faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works. We're saved by faith alone. But that faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by works. Because what good is it if you say you have faith and you don't have works? The Bible says it's useless it's dead. And to illustrate this for this point further, James brings us to our second point today, the illustration. Look at it. It's in verses 15 through 17, the illustration of this doctrine. Rereading the text, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, Here it is again. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We've talked about this a lot. James loves illustrations. Whether it's the waves of the sea, a double-minded man, the the sun scorching the flowers, whether it's what we talked about a couple weeks ago, 
the rich man and the poor man coming into the assembly and the difference in the way you seat them. Okay? Here's another one, an illustration. James says, let me show you a, an example of what I'm talking about. In this illustration, there is a brother or sister in Christ who is in need. This person does not have enough clothes. This person does not have enough food. And it's cold outside. Other Christians clearly see the situation. It's not that they missed it. They, they, they see the need. They see what's going on. Yet the only response that was given to the person in need is what? Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. There's no action taken. Nothing is given. Nothing is shared. Friends, what good is that? What good is it? The only thing that is really communicated is disregard, disrespect, selfishness. Even Jesus himself told a story like this, the Good Samaritan. The man's on his way between Bethlehem and, and Jericho. He gets, he gets beat up. He's left for dead. We know what the Bible says. Who passes by? The Levite passes by. He sees the situation and has total disregard. He just keeps on going. The priest, a little bit later, he comes by. He assesses the situation. He looks the other way. He keeps going. But who was the one that had mercy on him? The good Samaritan who came and got down on his hands and knees and picked him up, put him on his animal, bound his wounds, took him to the inn, cared for him, even paid for his time at the inn. But the person in this text does not act like the good Samaritan, but acts more like that priest, that Levite, just saying, Go in peace, go be warm, go be filled. What is that? One commentator said it this way. He says it's a word without works. It's expression without empathy. It's attitude without action. It's being verbal without being vital. And once again, verse 16 asks the same question that verse 14 started with. What good is that? It's not good at all. In fact, according to this text, faith without works is dead. Friends, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works. And for every one of us, it's an opportunity to step back and ask a question like this Is our faith leading us to action? Is our faith leading us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, is the way chapter one would ask the question? Friends, this whole chapter, this uh, of chapter two, you could summarize it in this statement love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then indeed we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is what Simon Kistemacher, another commentator, said concerning this. He said, unless word and deed go together, unless preaching the gospel is accompanied by a program of action, unless faith is demonstrated in loving care and concern, faith is dead. So this is an opportunity for every one of us to look into our own lives. Is our faith producing works? Is there fruit of our salvation? Are we being doers of the word or are we just hearers only? Are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? Because what good is it? What good is it to say you have a faith that has no action behind it? And then his final point today, coming from verses 18 through 20, James offers a challenge. Look at it with me one more time. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Here it is, the challenge. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, oh, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? What this text is teaching us is that there will always be people who will try to separate faith and works. There will always be this antinomian view of easy believism says, I believe it has no impact on my life. You see it here at the beginning of verse 18. So to those folks, James is offering a challenge. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Show me. Demonstrate, James says. But for James, this challenge is pretty easily won for James. Because there's no evidence of faith in their lives. There is no proof that faith exists. Friends, there can't be a demonstration if there's nothing to demonstrate. And that's what James is saying. But then he takes it one step further. And I want you to notice this. He tells the antinomian, this easy believism religion that this person has, he tells the antinomian that his condition is actually worse than the condition of a demon. Look at verse 19 one more time. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Think through that with me. He's saying to them, you and the demons are alike in one area. You both believe in God. You both believe in God's existence. But friends, that's not what true saving faith is. It's not believing in the existence of God. But unlike you, James says, this knowledge of God, it makes demons shudder. But you, antinomian, you are just comfortable in your dead faith. Think about that. You're simply comfortable in your dead faith. You don't even realize it. But you're drifting, you're dying, and you're heading for eternal destruction. Because you're deceiving yourself. 
If you think this is easy believism, I can come to Christ for salvation and have him as Savior, but not have him as Lord, you're deceiving yourself. You're on a route of dying, drifting, and heading for eternal destruction. And this, this question that we need to ask of ourselves, are we here in 2019... In the United States of America, here in Union County, North Carolina, are we, are we comfortable in a dead faith? That's one of the most dangerous places for any person to be, comfortable in a dead faith. And that's the warning, that's the challenge James is handing out to all these antinomians, people who think it's easy believism. Because, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ talks about, in the Bible, a group of people who thought they were believers, but they had no knowledge of God. We're going to put the text on the screen. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, passages like this, it should get our attention. This is a picture of people who thought they knew God, but they didn't. They deceived themselves. And friends, today, James doesn't want you to deceive yourself. And what he's teaching us is that self-deception, it's one of the biggest things that uh, we, need to, we need to focus on in the book of James. Don't deceive yourself. Don't start believing something that's not in the Bible. And the way he asks it is, what good is it, right? What good is it to have a faith that doesn't lead to works? So friends, as we close this morning, I want to encourage you to know the history. Know that Paul and James, yes, they're both swordsmen. They're both fighting an enemy, but that enemy is not each other. They're not fighting face-to-face. They're fighting back-to-back. Paul is fighting works righteousness. James is fighting antinomianism. We're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works. But secondly, a text like this causes every single one of us to ask this question. Are we holding on to simply a profession where there's no change in our lives? Are we holding to a word without works? Are we holding to expression without empathy? Are we holding to attitude without action? Are we holding to being verbal without being vital? What good is it? It's useless. James says it's dead. May every single one of us Examine our hearts under the teaching of God's word. Go to the Lord. See where your relationship is with him. Do you really know him? 
Or are you wearing this badge of I came to Jesus, but there's no effect on my life? What good is it, my friend? What good is it to have faith without works? It's useless. It's dead. Pray with me, please. God, as we come to you now after a text like this, we recognize that James, the word, is stepping on our toes a little bit today. It's pushing us and prodding us, might be making some people uncomfortable. Yet, Lord, it's better to be uncomfortable now than for eternity. And I pray we would heed the warning, the challenge that James gives us to recognize that some of us here today might not, might not even be as good a shape as the demon is. Lord, that's between you and that person. But we pray that you would work in our hearts today to see that we have a true saving faith in Jesus, a faith that leads to action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.